through 2020. <laughs> Lucky for you, the title to my this morning's message is David's Guide to 2020. David is the second most talked about person in the Bible, and I feel like he has a lot to speak to what's going on uh, in these days for us. So this year's been crazy. Like it started out, everything was fine, and then all of a sudden we have this virus, and then we have the shutdown, and then most people are spending a whole lot of time at home. And then just when it seems like the virus is like we're getting on the other side of it, and we're going to be able to go back to life as normal, we find out Japanese murder hornets have migrated to the United States. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, what is a murder hornet, and how much toilet paper do I need? Like, it's just unreal. This summer's been very different for us. We've had um, not really any carnivals or fairs or anything like that. And it's been a big adjustment for a lot of us. But David, in Psalm 42, found himself in the midst of a difficult situation. Most people believe that David was running for his life, literally running from Absalom, running for his life. And we see a pattern that's set up here in Psalm 42, and it's the way that David deals with the trauma, the stress, the frustrations of life on his good days. And so we want to look at that this morning. We're going to start off in Psalm 42. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have become my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of praise and joy with my friends. So we see the first thing that David does here in Psalm 42 is he gets in touch with his feelings. When it comes to getting in touch with your feelings, there's usually three groups of people, and you'll probably find yourself in one of these three groups of people. The first group of people are those who are feelings aware. For some people, knowing how you feel is very easy, and that's a good thing. A good example of this is my daughter's. They're all very aware of how they feel, and they will tell you very quickly how they feel, and they can articulate it very well. This weekend's uh, my daughter Tessa's birthday, and she is very, very feelings aware. One time, one time we're sitting at the dinner table, and April and I were talking about a difficult situation, and Tessa says, well, how does that make you feel, Dad? And I said, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. She says, what's there to think about? You just say how you feel. As you could imagine, Tessa's much more in tune with her feelings and emotions than I naturally am. The second type of a person is feelings aware, but can't put words to it. These are people who know they feel something, but for them to try and articulate it and get it out in words is really difficult for them. Like, if you ask them to sit down and write a paragraph about how they feel, that might be very difficult for them. Uh, the third group of people are feelings ignored. These are people who bury their feelings. These are the push past the pain, suck it up, buttercup, there's no crying in baseball type of people. And uh, so it could be the stereotypical cold person, or it could be someone who's struggled a lot in life, someone who's, been gone, through, who's gone through a lot of hard situations and had a lot of pain in their life. And so in order to kind of just be able to survive life, they kind of detach themselves from how they feel, and so they're unaware of their feelings. So David's figuring out how he feels about this situation. 
but then he realizes something that's very important, something that each one of us needs to realize. That's that at the bottom of his feelings, under all of it, he has an ache in his soul. David's got an ache in his soul, and you have an ache in your soul. It's an ache that only God can fill. It's an ache that only God can touch. Sometimes we try and throw all kinds of stuff at the ache to quiet it. We try and experience all of life's pleasantries, thinking that that's going to quiet the ache in our soul. But the truth is, it's only God who can quiet the ache in our soul because we were meant to be in relationship with him. So here David is. He realizes this ache that he has in his soul, and he draws an analogy to this ache that he's experiencing. And the analogy that he uses is thirst. Oftentimes when we talk about our need for God, our relationship for God, we talk about hunger. But David, interestingly, chose thirst. Hunger is something that can be satisfied, and in reality, even though most of us don't think about it, don't think it's real, we get about halfway through church and we think we're going to die of starvation. But in actuality, we can go a number of days without food if we need to. There's stories throughout time of people who went months and months without food at all and still were able to survive. But it's not true about thirst. It's not true about water. You can't go very long at all without water. We need to be in a constant supply of having water. In fact, you can take a drink and just a few moments later be thirsty again. And David's drawing that picture of our relationship with God, of thirst, of constant supply and constant need of having God in our life. So in this first section of Scripture, the first step in David's Guide to 2020, he gets in touch with his feelings and he realizes that at the bottom of his feelings, is this ache, this desperate need for God that can only be satisfied by God. Then David makes a transition in verses 5 through 8. He says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. He's my Savior. He's my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, Mount from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all of your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So David says, okay, I've gotten my feelings out. I've listened to how I feel long enough. It's time not to listen to how I feel anymore. It's time that I started talking. And David begins to talk to himself in this portion of Scripture. He's not talking to God. He's not talking to the reader. He's talking to himself. Instead of of allowing ourselves to simply listen to how we feel, we must begin to speak to ourselves. It's so easy to get stuck at that first step of listening to how you feel. if If we simply stay at that place and listen to ourselves, eventually we're going to become discouraged. And then we'll become depressed. Eventually we become despondent and it will lead to destruction and death in our life. David knows that and he says, listen up, self. It's time that you listen to what I have to say. David reminds himself of three things. He reminds himself of who God is. He reminds himself what God has done. And then he reminds himself of what God has promised for the future. I believe that as a people, we've been doing way too much listening to how we feel 
And we haven't been doing anywhere near enough talking to ourselves and telling ourselves the truth. This idea of talking to yourself isn't just a Christian idea. There's a discipline psychologists use called cognitive behavior therapy. Maybe some of you have, have heard of this. The basis of cognitive behavior therapy is that the reason we feel the way that we do isn't because of what happened to us. We don't feel depressed or discouraged or fearful because of what happened to us. We feel the way that we feel because of what we tell ourselves about what happened to us. You don't feel depressed because this thing happened to you. You feel depressed because what you tell yourself about that thing that happened to you. I'd like to tell you guys a story this morning. It's kind of a long story, but I want you to hang with me. It's a story about a young girl in cognitive behavior therapy in partnership with the Holy Spirit. This girl was on, a, when the story starts out, this girl's 16 years old. This girl's had a very, very hard life. She lives in a single parent home. And in fact, this girl has no idea who her dad is, and her mom doesn't know who her dad is. The mom works three jobs just to keep the lights on and keep food on the table. The girl barely ever sees her mom. This girl works a job at Burger King. She doesn't work this job at Burger King like most girls her age to save up for a new iPhone or a car to buy clothes that she wants. Every week she brings home the paycheck and she leaves it on the table where her mom finds it later at night when she gets home and her mom uses this check to help pay for the rent. This girl's life is about to get worse though. This girl's coming home from Burger King one night and a man drove up in a car and he grabbed her and he pulled her in the car, and there he mistreated her. This girl was devastated. She was a mess, as you could imagine. She went home, and her mom came home, and her mom talked about how hard her day was and some of the challenges she faced at her job. And the girl decided, I can't tell, I can't tell my mom about what happened. She's got way too much stress in her life. She's got too much going on. I'm just not going to tell her. A few months later, the girl found out that she was pregnant. She was just, like, broken inside. She's like, I didn't do anything to deserve this. I can't pay for myself to live. My mom can't even afford our life. Like, how in the world am I going to provide for a child? She went to school the next day. She came uh, home with a friend of hers, and she was sitting talking to a friend of hers, explaining to her the situation. Her and her friend were talking about what they could do about the situation. And the friend's mom overheard her. The friend's mom came and interrupted, and she said, I heard what you guys were talking about. She said, have you thought about going to social services? She said, I think that there's some assistance they could provide to you that might really help. The girl said, okay. So she set up an appointment with a social worker, and she went in, and the friend's mom was right. The social worker was able to really help her out in a bunch of different areas. She was able to help her um, get some material assistance that she needed. She was able to help her get signed up for health insurance, which was a big deal. She helped her a lot, but the social worker couldn't help but notice that the girl looked like she was a mess inside. This girl just pretty much stared down with a cold look on her face the whole time she was there. So the social worker said, you know, the health insurance that you just signed up for, it provides for counseling. Have you ever thought about sitting down with the counselor? And the girl said, no. She said, well, I have a really good friend who's an awesome counselor, and I think you would love her. Like, she's fun, she's easy to talk to. I think you guys would actually really click. She said, what if I made an appointment for you to go see her? The girl said, I don't know. She said, well, how about this? How about I'll make an appointment for you, and if you don't want to go, no pressure. You don't have to go at all. 
In fact, I'll even tell them, like, don't even, don't even do a follow-up call if she doesn't show up. If you don't want to go, you don't have to go. The girl says, okay. So the social worker makes an appointment with her friend, the counselor, for the girl. The girl goes home, and it's the night before she's supposed to go to the, see the counselor, and she's thinking to herself, like, there's no way. I'm not going to go see this lady. The next morning, she wakes up, and she thought about it a little bit more, and she's like, I mean, I guess I could just go. Like, what do I have to lose? Like, I could go, and if it's stupid, I'll just leave. So she goes to the appointment, and the social worker was right. This counselor was great. She's a wonderful person, and the girl connected with her, and she really enjoyed talking to her. Over the course of a couple weeks, the girl finally was able to open up and explain to the counselor all the stuff that had gone on in her life and the situation that led to her being there that day. So the, uh, the counselor began to explain to the girl about cognitive behavior therapy and how the situations of our life aren't actually the things that make us depressed or discouraged or angry, but really it's what we tell ourselves about these situations of life that affect how um, we feel. So the counselor had been writing most of the time that the girl had been talking, and the counselor had written a list of 10 things that this girl was saying to herself all the time that was shaping her reality. Up on the top of the list was, um, I'm going to be alone raising this baby. There's going to be no one to help me. The second thing on the list was, I don't have enough money. I'm going to have to provide for this girl on my own, or for this baby on my own, and I'm never going to be able to. And the list went on and on. There was 10 statements that the girl made over and over again that was shaping her reality. So the counselor said, what if we come up with a positive statement that's true that can replace each one of those negative statements that you're, you're repeating to yourself over and over again that's shaping your life? And the girl said, okay. So they started at the top, and the top said, um, I'm going to be alone, and I'm going to have to raise this baby all on my own. And the counselor said, well, didn't you say that a couple of your friends said they would be willing to help you, and your mom said she would be willing to help you? And the girl said, yeah. So she said, so what if we replace that statement, I'm going to have to raise this baby all alone, with my friends and family are going to support me, and we're going to raise this baby together. The girl said, okay, that's, that's fair enough. And she said, and then the next statement you said was, um, I don't have any money, and I'm never going to be able to afford to raise this baby. She said, but in a little time, like what I've gotten to know of you, you're a really hard worker, and you don't give up in life, and you're going to do whatever it takes to provide for this baby, aren't you? And she said, yeah. So she said, what if we said, I'm going to set out on this adventure of finding some way to provide for this baby? And the girl said, okay. And they went down the rest of the list, and they came up with a positive, true statement to um, replace every one of the negative statements that she was telling herself. So the girl went, and she left the counselor's office, and she went home, and she realized really quickly like how many of those negative statements she was just telling herself all day, every day. Like That's what she was chewing on all day. So very quickly, she started saying the positive statements that were true to replace the negative ones. And in about two days, she had that whole list memorized. She didn't even need the paper anymore. In fact, she left the paper in her pocket and forgot about it and put it through the laundry. But it was okay because she had these statements memorized and she started to repeat them, repeat them to herself. So then two weeks later, the girl goes back to the counselor. She sits down with the counselor and she pulls out this like, tattered piece of paper that went through the laundry and you could see the negative statements a little bit, but the positive ones are pretty much washed away in the laundry. And the counselor said, oh no, like you messed up your paper. And she said, well, she said, it wasn't a big deal because I was able to memorize the positive statements because I was saying them so often to myself. 
The counselor said, that's great. So did it help? Did it make a difference in your life? And she said, well, it kind of took the edge off of the pain that I was feeling, the depression that I was feeling, but even though those statements are true, they don't really feel true. And the counselor smiled and nodded, and she said, I understand. The counselor said, would it be okay if I told you a little bit about my story? And the girl said, well, you charge $65 an hour to listen to me, so maybe if you pay me 65 bucks, I'll listen to your story. <laughs> and they laughed together. They had like, uh, started a friendship together. So the counselor said that she had gone through a number of traumatic events in her life in her formative years. And I mean, the list of the things that this lady had been through was like unreal. I mean, just shocking, appalling, one thing after another in her life. But she was really good at school. And she got a scholarship, and she thought, you know what, maybe I could go to school and study to be a psychologist. Not so I could actually be a psychologist one day, but so that I could maybe like, find a way to be like more of a whole person and be a contributing person in society. So she went to school to be a psychologist, and she said, I learned about cognitive behavior therapy, and I thought, like, that's me. I know that's what I'm doing. I'm saying these negative things, and it's shaping my reality. If I could replace those with positive statements, that would make such a difference in my life. So she did it, just like the girl did. She said after a few weeks, she came back and she went back to class and she realized like, it took a little bit of the edge off of what I was feeling, but I still feel like really discouraged about my life. She said, that's when I met Jesus. And the girl said, Jesus who? And the woman said, Jesus Christ. And she said, oh, so you're like a, like a Christian or whatever they call it? And she said, yeah, something like that. And so she began to tell the girl about Jesus and about salvation, about God's plan to redeem mankind. And she, and she said to the girl, do you think you would like to have a relationship with Jesus? And the girl thought about it and she said, well, it seems like it made a big difference in your life, so why not? So she said, okay, I'll lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus in your life. So she led her in a prayer and they asked Jesus to wash her and make her new and to forgive her for her sins and to come and to be the Lord of her life. And the, you could hear the smile on the counselor's face as she led this girl in this prayer. Like, she was so excited for this girl. She opened her eyes, and she was excited, and she was ready to look at the girl and say, congratulations, you're a Christian now. She opened her eyes, and the girl just sat there with her eyes closed. The counselor knew to give the girl a little bit of time and a little bit of space, so she just left her there for a while. And then after two, three, five minutes, she noticed the girl had started to cry. It was the first time she had seen any emotion like that from the girl. Even when the girl told her about that horrible night and the event that happened to her, she didn't cry at all. She was just cold and stoic. So the girl cried, and it went on and on, and it went on for about 10 minutes. Finally, the counselor said, would it be okay if I asked you if you're all right? And she, she smiled, and she said, yeah, I am okay. And she said, what's going on? And she said, I met Jesus. She said, does everybody cry when they meet Jesus? And the counselor laughed and said, yeah, probably like most people do cry when they meet Jesus because he's that wonderful. And she said, what happened? And she said, well, she said, we prayed that prayer and then Jesus opened that paper in front of me, the one that was all destroyed from going through the laundry with all those negative statements. She said, the negative statements were there, but the positive statements had been washed away. She said, Jesus took his finger and went right under the first statement. And it said, I'm alone, and I'm going to have to raise this baby all alone. And she said, Jesus looked at me, and he said, you'll never be alone. I've been with you every step of the way, and I'll be with you every step of the way from here forward. He said, in fact, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. 
And the girl said, everyone has always left me. My dad didn't want anything to do with me. He left me. She said, I don't even know what forsake means, but it sounds so good. And she said, he won't forsake you means he'll never turn his back on you. And the girl started to cry again. And the counselor wrote down a reference to a scripture that she had memorized a long time ago. Then he went to the second statement, which said, I'm never going to have enough money to raise this kid. She said, Jesus told her, I'm your provider and I will provide for you. And I actually care more about providing for this child that's coming than you do. And I'll provide for that child too. She said, and then Jesus said he owned a cattle on a thousand hills. Is he like a rancher or something? The counselor said, no, he's more like a shepherd. And she wrote down another scripture reference. This girl went through every single negative statement that she had written down. And Jesus spoke to every single thing. And it made her feel completely different about her life. Not only did Jesus speak to her about every single thing, in everything that Jesus spoke to her was a scripture that the counselor had previously memorized in her life. So she was able to write down 10 scripture references for this girl, that this girl had these promises that she could stand on for the rest of her life. This girl says that she left that counseling office that day, and there was 15 steps that went down um, to get out of the counseling office to get to the sidewalk. She said she stood on the edge, and she seriously wondered if she would fly home. She said she felt so light. It was like a 1,000 pounds had been lifted off her shoulder. That night she had to work at Burger King again and she went back to work and up until that point she had found every reason imaginable to call in sick to work. When she walked through that place where that event had happened, it was just so painful. She just wanted to die. That night she walked past that place and for the first time she was able to say a prayer and ask God to find a way to reach that man who would hurt her. She went back to Burger King and worked for a few months. And everyone around her was like, what in the world happened to you? You were like a completely different person. Her manager, who was a guy, would joke with her that if this is what pregnancy does, I want to get pregnant. <laughs> after, about, after a few months, she had to step down from working because she was, it was time to have the baby. And she went to the manager and she said, after I have the baby, is there any way I could have my job back? He said, I'm really sorry, but right now you're working five nights a week and I need someone to run the cash register, so I'm going to have to hire somebody else. The girl said, okay, and went to walk away. And under her breath, she said, God is my provider. The manager stopped her and said, you know what? In five months, this girl who runs the morning shift as a manager, she's going to be leaving to go to school. Would you be interested in running the morning shift? And the girl said, what would that mean? And he said, well, it would mean instead of working odd hours, it would be a consistent schedule and it'd mean more money. And the girl said, are you serious? And he said, yeah. She said, that's amazing. I would love to. Then she went. She had the baby. She was kind of getting acquainted to being a mom. And she was praying all along. She said, like, I've got to go back to work at this job, and I'm thankful for the job, but what am I going to do with the baby? Like, I don't have anyone to watch the baby. That girl whose mom told her about the social worker she had been a second grade teacher, and her and her husband had worked very hard through their life. And they had both just come to retirement age, and the mom had just retired. And two years ago, the husband bought an RV for $175,000. This was him and his wife's dream. They were going to travel the country together. They had sacrificed so much throughout their life to be able to retire and travel the country. That's what they dreamed of doing. They wanted to go to Alaska, and they wanted to go to Texas and California. And they were going to hit all 50 states. 
But since this woman met this girl, she hadn't stopped talking to her husband about this girl. It's like every night she would talk about this girl and the baby, and the baby was so cute and so beautiful and so sweet, and she loved her so much. One night the husband said, you're going to make me sell the RV, aren't you? And she said, no, I'm not going to make you do anything. The next morning when the woman went outside, the husband had a for sale sign taped to the front of the RV. They went in and talked, and he said, are you, she said, are you serious? You want to give up all of that? And he said, yeah, I think we should. So the woman went, she knocked on the girl's door of her apartment. She went in and she told the girl, she said, this is maybe like presumptuous of me, and if this is too much, just please tell me and I'll, I'll leave and pretend this conversation never happened. But would you want me to watch your daughter for you so you could go back to work? And the girl said, I, I don't even think I can afford to pay you, I'm so sorry. And she said, no, no, I, I wouldn't charge anything. And the girl ran across the room and hugged her and she said, God provided again. And the woman said, of course he, he does. He, of course he did. He always does. So the girl went back to work, and she worked for a few months, and she completely transforms her shift now. She's sitting down with the employees that she's overseeing individually and teaching them that the reason they're so depressed and angry in life is because of their thoughts. And if they could replace their negative thoughts with positive thoughts, it would change their outlook on life, and they wouldn't be such miserable employees. And the ones that really struggle, she says, maybe I can introduce them to Jesus. Her shift completely transformed. She said it stops feeling like Burger King now, and it feels a lot more like Chick-fil-A. Not quite there, but close. <laughs> so the store manager, he's getting ready to move on to go to another city, and he sits down with the boss, or the guy who owns the, the Burger King, and he, sa and he says, the boss says, the owner says, who should I hire? We've got these two managers that have each been there for five years. Like, Which one do you think would be the best store manager, and he says, you're going to tell me I'm crazy, but I think it's the girl. He says, she doesn't even know what she's doing. She's been here for three months. She doesn't even know the ropes of how everything goes. And he said, just come and sit and watch one shift that this girl manages. So the owner came and he sat and he said, I don't want to go. He owned five Burger Kings. He said, I don't want to go to any of my other Burger Kings again. I just want to come here and be here. This is incredible. This is like a vacation. Everyone's so happy. This is amazing. So he makes the girl the store manager. The girl completely transforms the store. It's unbelievable. Their profits are going through the roof. The owner's like, this is amazing. The owner has a bunch of other businesses that he oversees, and he's gotten to the place where he can no longer oversee the Burger Kings, and he's been looking to hire a regional manager to oversee all five of his Burger Kings. So he sits down with the girl, and he says, could you explain to me what you did, like, she said, I've, wor I've overseen all five of these Burger Kings. No, we've never seen anything like this happen. She says, have you ever heard of cognitive behavioral therapy? He says, no. Like, why is some 17-year-old girl talking about cognitive behavior therapy? She explains it to him. And she says, but the real change happened when I invited Jesus into my life and the Holy Spirit breathed on these positive statements and they became real for me. He says, the Holy Spirit? She says, yes. He says, well, okay, whatever it is, I don't care, but whatever it is, I want you to oversee all five of my Burger Kings and implement this strategy that you implemented here. And so she did it. She's now 17 years old and overseeing all of this man's five Burger Kings with no experience, no qualifications, and she starts to transform 
all five of his Burger Kings. It's incredible. The guy's profits are going through the roof. He's never had his stores be this profitable before. The girl actually gets to lead the man to Jesus. She talks to the owner again, and he says, every year Burger King gives away one scholarship to a manager to go back to school. He said, I think you should apply. Like, you'll fill out the application, you'll write an essay, then I'll write an essay. He said, I bet you get, I bet you get the scholarship. So she fills out the application, he writes the essay, she gets the scholarship, she goes back to school. Now she's going to school full-time and managing his businesses full-time, and this wonderful woman is raising her daughter. One day she came home from, from college, and she sat down with, she went to sit down with the, uh, the woman who was raising a daughter, and she said, I'm teaching her the ABC. She says, I have these flashcards. A, and the girl says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. B, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. And this girl's whole entire life is completely transformed. It's amazing what's happened. This woman now travels around the country. She's gone back to school again and gotten her degree in psychology. She travels around the country doing conferences where they teach pastors and psychologists about behavioral, cog cognitive behavioral therapy in partnership with the Holy Spirit. When this girl finished um, college, the owner said to her, when are you going to open your own store? And she said, I don't know, like I'd have to save up a lot of money to be able to do that. And he said, what if I gave you a loan to do it? So he gave this girl a loan to open her first Burger King. She now has five Burger Kings. She travels around the country doing these conferences, and someone travels with her to help her with the teaching, and it's the woman who led her to the Lord. If you ever go to one of these conferences, you're actually not allowed to pay anything to go to these conferences because it's privately funded by two wealthy business people that each own five Burger Kings. And when this girl is asked, how did you do this? Like, how did you go from a girl who was pregnant from this horrible situation to a girl that's wildly successful and traveling around the world teaching these conferences? And she said this. She said, when self-talk combines with the Holy Spirit, we move from behavior modification to heart transformation. She said, I learned to talk to myself. I learned not to stay in a place where I just simply listen to my feelings. She said, if I stayed there, my life would have been destroyed. But I learned how to speak to myself, tell myself the truth, tell myself who God is, tell, me, tell myself the promises that God has made for my life. David pivots again in verse 9. He says, I say... To God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. David realigned his hope. I love this portion of Scripture because David, he's just a human like you and me. And we hear this, we go, okay, I can do this. I'll start to talk to myself and tell myself the truth. But David slipped back into listening to how he feels. He slipped back into that negative pattern of listening to how he feels. And instead, he had to come out of that place and realign his hope in God. When we put our hope in anything other than God, we will end up being disappointed. But when we put our hope in God, we will never be disappointed. I met a man a couple weeks ago. He was... Well, he is 79. He spent most of his life serving and loving Jesus. 
I met him and we were going to look at a house together and I walked up to the house and I realized he had a mask on and I didn't have a mask on. I said, oh, do you want me to put a mask on? He said, yeah, you better. I'm an old guy. So I said, okay. So I ran out to my car. I got a mask. I put it on. I came back and he said, you know, I doubt a virus is going to kill me. He said, I've lived through a lot of stuff. And I said, I'm not sure it works that way. And he's like, no, he's like, I think I'd be okay. I said, well, what have you been through in your life? He said, well, he said, I went to Vietnam. So there was a number of times in Vietnam that I thought I was going to die. He said, a bunch of my friends did die. He said, it was, there was times where it was a miracle that I even made it out of there alive. So then when I came home, he said, the country was really messed up. It was like completely divided. Half the country thought we should be in war. The other half said we shouldn't be in war. He said, people were saying our country was headed for a civil war. So then a bunch of my friends came home from war with me, and people got treated so poorly. He said, it's no wonder half my friends drank themselves to death. He said, but I didn't do any of that. He said, I survived Vietnam, and I survived coming back. But he said, if you think that's impressive. He said, I've been married to the same woman for 60 years. He said, like, that's the real victory. Like, if I survive Vietnam, that's okay, but I survived marriage for 60 years. That's pretty impressive. He said, I found a way to walk through all of life's craziness unscathed. He said, you know, this isn't the first time our country has faced racial injustice. So this isn't the first time there's been rioting or looting. So this isn't the first time half of our country lost respect for the president that was in office. So this isn't the first time the stock market crashed. So this isn't the first time that grandparents wondered what kind of country they were going to leave to their grandkids. I said, well, how did you get through it? He said, I put my hope in Jesus. He said, I got up every Sunday morning and I went to church. He said, sometimes I didn't want to go to church. He said, sometimes my wife would hear me yelling at myself saying, get up, you old son of a gun, go to church, you know what's good for you. So there was even one Sunday morning where my wife and I got in the worst fight we had ever gotten in. He said, it was horrible. He said, I said stuff to her that I'm still ashamed of. She said stuff to me that she wondered, could we ever recover from? He said, we got in that fight and I left the house and I went driving around. He said, I didn't know where I was going but I was going away from her, and I was going away from God. So I drove around for a couple hours. Finally, I realized I have nowhere to go. All of my stuff is still at home. So, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to church. It was Sunday morning, so he came to church. He came late. He said he sat down just as worship was ending, and he said they were singing a song about how big and how powerful God was. He said, I immediately realized God's bigger than this fight that me and my wife got in. He said, I walked in the church and she was sitting on one side. I was so mad at her, I sat on a pew on the other side of church. So then the pastor started to preach and he said, it was like the word of God began to soften my hard heart. He said, I realized that I was part of the problem too. It wasn't all her. So then the pastor gave an altar call and he said, bring your problems to the altar. He said, I thought about going over to my wife and putting her over my shoulder and carrying her to the altar. He said, but... Instead, I decided to pick my fat butt up and take myself to the altar because I knew I was part of the problem. So I sat at the altar and I cried. And I told the Lord I was sorry for trying to figure this out on my own, like I knew what I was doing, like I could figure it out. So that, that afternoon, my wife and I went home and we prayed together, we cried together, we apologized. And we agreed together to put our hope back in Jesus because he was the only way that we were going to make it. He said, young man, have you ever gone to church? I said, yeah, I go sometimes. I said, sometimes I have to yell at myself to get myself to go to, though. I said, you know, I hope that one day I'll be 79, and I'll say that I've made it through all of life's challenges, unscathed, 
because I put my hope in Jesus, including one crazy year for the ages of 2020. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, I thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives in this season, even if it feels crazy and we don't understand it. Lord, so many, many of us have been stuck in our feelings, just listening to how we feel all the time, and it's creating a poisonous atmosphere in our life. Lord, I ask that each person who's here today would take a step this week to step out of that place of simply listening to how they feel and to start to tell themselves the truth. That they would begin to tell themselves who you are. They would begin to tell themselves about the times that you've been faithful in the past, like David did. And they would begin to remind themselves of the promises that you've made over their life. And Lord, just like that young girl's life was transformed as she got out of the negative patterns of her mind and began to get into the positive patterns and let the Holy Spirit breathe on those positive statements. Lord, I ask that that would happen for each one who's here. Lord, as they replace some of the negative thinking with positive statements that are true, I ask that you would breathe on those statements and they would come alive in their heart. They would lead to heart transformation for each one of us. And Lord, that we would take our hope off of all the various things that we've been putting our hope in, and we would put our hope back on you, the only one that doesn't let us down, and the only one that can satisfy the ache of our soul. Lord, I ask you to bless each one as they go from this place today. In your name I pray, amen. Just a couple of quick announcements. Um, There's offering boxes in the back of the church if you were looking for those. And then the ushers are going to come around and they're going to release you from uh, your seats in an orderly way. And then you can hang out in the parking lot with each other for as long as you would like to. Have a blessed week.